You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Nicholas Gorino. He is CEO at Naturae Oils. We're going to talk about the world of extractions. We're going to talk about the world of really kind of markets, particularly the New York market, what's going on. I think as probably some portion of our listeners know, the New York uh, and New Jersey markets kind of have been coming online. New York particularly is, you know, some drama and some challenges as we get licenses out there and kind of figure out how we're going to build this market. And uh, Nicholas is in the thick of it. And they're figuring out kind of really where they are, where the opportunities are, how they apply what they do particularly well to building a business and industry, and they've been launching new products. We're going to hear about some of that stuff. But excited for the conversation. I always love talk to, talking to folks that are in interesting, growing markets and kind of figuring out particularly early stage markets and, and how things are going to shake out. So we'll hear about all that. With that, Nicholas, welcome to the program. Absolutely. And likewise, thank you. Yeah, that's that really well put. <laughs> Thanks for being on. Before we dig into everything that's going on today, I would love to get a little background, you know, on you and how you got into extraction, into cannabis. What was the backstory? Give us the uh, journey that you've been on. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I got into into cannabis basically right out of college. <clears throat> I didn't end up finishing school. I was going to business school in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. My, my family has been working with with specialty agriculture for uh, for a few generations now in, in South America. And I was kind of just getting more formal training uh, to bring some order to to the family business down there. Mm-hmm. And then the, the opportunity for cultivation, processing, and, and manufacturing of cannabinoid hemp products came to New York uh, like in 2017. Uh-huh. And we got licensed for that uh, with with a proposal that we had on on a farm and a property that we didn't yet own, but that we had as part of our business plan. And we got licensed for it. We went out and, and did a lot of, of pitching, you know, dozens and dozens of pitches to, to, to do the fundraising for for this project. And we were able to to do some fundraising with, with about 40%, selling 40% of the company and, and bringing on some debt. So the idea back then, because the, the way that we, we really understood what we wanted to do was that we started working in, in some farms in Oregon and Colorado, okay. uh, as well as, as seeing some extraction facilities that worked with this farm. And, and so it was very early back then, right? Like 2017, 16, looking at these farms. And, and our idea was this, we we're going to be a vertically integrated provider of, of non-psychoactive cannabis products. That was really the idea. And Okay. We didn't even quite know, and most people didn't back then, what the different cannabinoids that, that were <laughs> present outside of THC could do. Yeah. But we know for a fact that CBD was anti-inflammatory, and, and I had already a couple of, of situations and cases in my family where 
my stepdad and then and then a cousin of ours that, that both had these these very rare diseases were helped tremendously by the anti-inflammatory properties of CBD. So we thought, okay, yeah. this, this is a market. We're licensed for it. We're going to go for it. And as we built that, we really learned how difficult it was to try to compete in just open world CPG, where there's a lot of much larger companies. And so we really pivoted and focused for those three or four years on just being wholesale providers of non-psychoactive cannabis ingredients, right? So we were just ingredient providers for other manufacturers and it become it became very commoditized very quickly. Like from the year that we started extracting hemp for CBD oil to the last year in 2022 when we stopped hemp operations, we went from a $5,000 a unit, a unit, a kilo of distillate price to like a $65 per kilo price. So, wow. so it was an incredibly tough training ground from from all directions, right? Because we were taking so much of the supply chain on, like we were we were doing large scale outdoor cultivation, forty acres of grow. We were extracting 300, 400 pounds of biomass per day into distillate, and it was just you know continue to produce more, cut salaries, reduce sales team, consolidate supply agreements. Yeah. And and increase hours and reduce staff just to continue to compete and the production costs, you know, get going from fifteen hundred dollars to eight hundred to two hundred to one hundred to finally like a, a big investment we made in two thousand twenty one to double our throughput and get our costs of production per kilo to like eighty dollars. And when we finally got there after all the work, the market wouldn't pay more than sixty five dollars. Oh, so geez. yeah, so it was. It was it was really tough, but it was it was an incredible training ground to be able now to transition into THC because if we wouldn't have if we wouldn't have had those four or five very very hard years in yeah. in that in that game, we wouldn't have learned everything that we know about extraction and about exactly how we want to avoid wholesale commoditization of of pricing and and really focus on our own brands and and bring high quality products at competitive prices with the existing and decades old existing parallel unlicensed market, right? So. So yeah, that's that's a bit of the background. I mean, I, I essentially spent it's been the last six years working now at Naturally as a co-founder. I was head of agriculture for for three years there, and then a couple of years ago, I I um, took over as CEO. So so that's that's led us to where we are now. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious when the when the THC market kind of came into play. Like, how did that actually come up for you? How did what was the process like? I mean, were what were the kind of the mechanics as the regulatory frameworks were kind of being sorted out, you know, in terms of on the ground, how you navigate it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really just constantly going on the OCM's website. So, I mean, even, even going a little bit further back before the OCM had even existed and, and uh-huh. the MRTA had passed, we knew that this was on the horizon and, and we had always thought, you know, we're, we're going to continue to extract, we're going to continue to participate in the wholesale market if even at a bit of a loss in CBD, because we want to ensure that the state knows that we're active extractors and that we're in some way or another way shortlisted whenever this MRTA uh, licensing becomes available. And it, time, you know, Cuomo had a ton of political turmoil. It's time to continue to pass and pass. The OCM wasn't even named. Then when Governor Hochul came on, she very quickly named the OCM the board for New York uh, yeah. that, that regulates everything here in New York. And with that, Canny, you know, the Cannabis Association in, in, in New York, made a big push to made it, make it evident to the state and to the lawmakers that there was already an existing infrastructure for production cannabis, at least in New York. It and is. so if they were looking to speed up the one-year delay that they had already experienced with all of the Cuomo situation, you know, at least on the production tier and on the production side, you know, us hemp guys, we can, we can help you guys out here. And so it, it sort of rolled out 
better than we could have ever imagined. Like it, it took us like a week as an entire team to really process that this was happening in this way whereby to be able to get into the production tier the first year, you had to have spent these, these couple of years suffering in hemp at least. <laughs> Paying your dues. And so, and so we, our, our license was, was a bit delayed, but, but we did finally get it. And in that process, it was just really going to the OCM website every single day and reading any new release that they had put out. And I would say generally they've followed a very logical order with everything that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, the timing of the stores has, has just been very off as it's been honestly in every other state as well, it seems like. So, I, I mean, for the most part of it. Regardless of, of sales volumes that you can see, which are, are challenges probably related to the New York's unlicensed market being right there next door. Yeah. In terms of store numbers opening, it seems like every state has a very hard time the first year getting significant number of storefronts out of the population service with those storefronts. So Yeah. Challenges. But but yeah, so that was I mean, it was it was really just like more than what we would have hoped in, in the way that it rolled out for the production tier and then significantly slower than we expected uh for for the the selling tier right the dispensary tier yeah yeah so you mentioned that you're you're focused on brands now tell us a little bit about how things changed when you went from more of a processor wholesaler to really brand focused like how has that played out for you yeah i mean that's it's basically from from that business to going into ma- a full-scale manufacturing of, of different categories of products and then as well as self-distribution which we're compelled to do now and which we intend to continue doing and, and learning about and getting better at those are two two entire new businesses that we sort of had to take on a very quick sense as well because a lot yeah. of our funding wasn't secured until we had our license and we didn't get our processing license at least until November of, of 22 so I mean, a lot of a lot of new things to learn. But since we already had to do all of our extraction and all of our processing and some of the small scale product manufacturing that we did in CBD under GMP guidelines, it became at least the manufacturing became very simplified simply with with the use of SOPs of other companies that are already established or that already had procedures that they're able to share with us. So it was, I mean, it's been a mad dash to get it all implemented. And we're, we're really just now in June and July starting to get our, our full track and trace and an entire order and, and really have vision into every part of the business through data. But I think it, it's been it's been doable due to the small scale of demand that we've had to deal with, honestly. Yeah. You know, for a small operator like this, there's a view that you could take that you could say that the, the smaller opening at least allowed us to establish a foundation that now we're really itching for for another 30 or 40 stores to be open because we're, we're ready for it. We can do it. And this is where, where the timing thing that I'm talking about, it really just varies per operator that you're talking to, right? There's operators mm-hmm. that were ready to wait it out 24 months and they and they already expected the slow opening, which I spoke to quite a few smart operators that had come from out of state from, from California or from Massachusetts and both sort of expected the slower opening. And so they didn't invest as much as as, as maybe some others that, that were more eager. I think we're somewhere in the middle there because we, we didn't expect this slow of an opening. We expected it to be, you know, five times less than what the state promised, but not 15 times less. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. But yeah. And so what's, what does your forecast look like? Like, what, how do you think this is going to play out in terms of the New York market? I and mean, we're, we're obviously waiting for some of these retail stores to open. Like, what do you envision over the next 24 months? Over the next 24 months might be tough. I mean, I think, I think for, 
I, I mean, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And there's there's a lot of operators in the currently licensed, at least in the production tier, that are either not going back into the ground and, and replanting their crop this season or have just gone dormant and shuttered processing operations and, and aren't going to continue to go unless they find some kind of miracle partner that, that's willing to, to turn their license back on. So um, some of that's definitely going to happen as a consequence of, of the slow store opening because there's just a massive bottleneck. All of the brands, all of the cultivators, all of the processors with their brands are trying to hit the same 20 stores. And, you know, there, there's just only so much that those 20 stores can sell in volume physically, even if they're yeah. busy all the time. So I, I, quite a few businesses will, will go under. And, and this mm-hmm. is coming at the heels of, of CBD investments that were made for four or five years that were already very, very tough on all of these operators. So for, for a lot of them, it was kind of like either they got very lucky with an investor that came in and decided to rescue it or they put in the last thing that they could put in. And so they're, they're either going to be facing bankruptcy or, or other very challenging situations. On the flip side, it does seem like it's starting to pick up a number of stores opening per month. I mean, in, in July, we had four, which, you know, it's it's not impressive, but it looks like <laughs> August, we could be on track for six or eight. And if we yep. start to get to like eight to 10 per month, we should see enough critical mass by December that a lot of operators are able to fit into their place in the market. You know, even yes. even cultivators that wanted to make a brand, but then realized that they were better off selling biomass to a processor, et cetera, will start to 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 fit in in their place when the demand is there. You know, yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be uh, very tough until like December and January, and then there's a whole other wild card that gets thrown in there, which is that. Now the large 10 medical guides, not only can they have their own stores, but they'll be able to participate in the wholesale market as well. So they'll compete with us and they'll compete with with the uh, social equity dispensaries. And that's that's just going to make it tougher sooner. It's, it's yeah. that simple. Like there's, there's not a lot more. There's nice ways that you can paint it. Yeah, well, that'll be more stores we can sell into. But it, it basically means that very, very experienced and very well-funded operations, 10 of them are going to be active in the market. And that's just 10 more that we'll need to compete with. So yeah. So that's definitely disappointing for, I think, most of, of, of the operators who already kind of got hit from one side with the slow store opening yeah. and now are getting hit from the other side with really tough competition. I mean, for a lot of farmers, that's they're not going to be able to compete with the flower prices that these large greenhouse semi-indoor operations can produce. Yeah. Do you feel like the demand is there? I mean, I guess at some level, obviously, the demand is there. I guess, like, do we, yeah. do we feel like the New York model and the regulatory system and the taxation structure and all like that is, you know, once we kind of get the licensing operation, the stores open, like there will be the, the demand really will start to grow for legal cannabis consumption. Yeah. I mean, with, with one small caveat, but I definitely, I think the demand is there. I mean, when, when a new store opens, you see significant movement in that store for, for quite a while. The OCM, in terms of enforcement, has made for quite a while, I mean, consistently until now, I guess, depending on, on when they open in the year. But the, the OCM has made enforcement a, a priority around all of these stores. So most of the unlicensed stores that were right near any licensed store have been shut down and, and have been most of them, at least in the upstate area, where I would say it's, it has a, a big effect and it's more controllable. In New yeah. York, it almost feels like a lost cause. Yeah, I know. In the city, it's crazy. Up here, it's it's really been controlled. Yeah. So I think the demand is only going to continue to go up as more accessibility is there with the stores. I mean, we had projected when before stores opened that with our full portfolio, we'd be able to reach roughly $25,000 in sales per store per month. And so far, we're closer to like 33000 $34,000. And we don't have our full portfolio out. We're likely going to be at like 40000 
per store per month. So I would say when the, when the stores open, of course, when they open with some decent distance from each other, like the situation in Union Square, yeah. you certainly see some cannibalization there between those four. Yeah. Um, but but in general, the demand is there. People don't want to have like a lot of people from from. And this is the caveat that I was talking about earlier. I, I think there's an expectation that New York City, due to population, will be 80 to 90 percent of sales in the state like it is with liquor distribution and sales. But I think it's 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 possible that we'll see something more like a 50 50 or even maybe a 60 40 still in favor of the city. But where a lot more of the legal sales are going to be in upstate and central New York and in western New York, because these these are, these are populations that have been used to now for five years driving over to Massachusetts to to get their their legal weed and there's just not reliable or, or history of or, or really any 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 kind of reliable unlicensed market up here it's it's really just brokers that are doing trading up here there's no long standing culture of, of you being able to have your guy that's that's getting your stuff so everybody yeah. started going to Massachusetts and now they've got it in their in their backyard and they're just they're very excited to purchase it here that combined with trends of just generally more and more people smoking weed than drinking um, mm-hmm. indicates to me that upstate is going to upstate central western new york everything that's out of metro new york is going to really surprise everyone yeah do you feel like we're going to have kind of a whipsaw here of you know once we get stores open and demand up prices will start to increase and we'll actually run into supply issues or what do you think the supply side is looking like that's a really good question actually i've thought about that like five times in the past few weeks yeah. Just it, going through my head, like, oh, can I imagine a scenario where suddenly... So I don't think it's going to be the case for any distillate-based products. Okay. Um, I can say that very confidently. I, there's just a massive supply of biomass that can go to distillate production. Yeah. That's what all the farmers here have known, and they're all out of full acres. So there's a lot of uh, massive glow. Yeah. It, it could be the case with flour, and it, and it could be the case with with you know solventless concentrates potentially um let's see i i would say that even that's kind of hard to see i would say the most likely place where that would happen would be in the flower category which we don't participate in so we'll just watch from the sidelines um but but i think it it could happen there because there's not there's not significant production and if enough stores open there could be a situation where there's a flower shortage a high you know smokable flower yeah yeah quality flower shortage um interesting from your own operations point of view, what have been some of the challenges, I guess, as you've kind of made these transitions as, you know, obviously you're expanding kind of the nature of the business and where have been, you know, kind of the struggles in, in getting the business, you know, operating well and the right people and the right processes and getting everything in place? Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would say the thing that the biggest challenge, getting all the processes implemented was a challenge, but we've been, so with, with the branding, we've been very lucky that we we hired Christian Bolica. He's our chief revenue officer, and he's been with us since 2021, since CBD days, when we were making one last attempt at a at a brand with with CBD. Um, he's he's done just a fantastic job at creating our in-house brands. When we were really weighing if we were going to just uh, white label for out-of-state brands that already had all of their infrastructure and all of their iterations for years and years ready to go, or yeah. if we were going to go with our own thing. So it's been challenging, but we have the right person for it, for sure. And then on implementing new processes, uh, Connor Brown is our CEO, and he's a process engineer. He's he's just been on top of it. So we've, uh, you know, every time we've gotten a new piece of equipment or or, any, or, or when we installed our entire kitchen, everything is, has been able to kind of go according to plan. Where we do have the right person, but we, we're really figuring out how to integrate sales with with production, and where we're we're struggling is on essentially costing of our inventory as it goes along the line as it's sold and, and our cost of goods sold versus cost of goods manufactured 
and really being able to do live margin tracking. That's been the biggest challenge, essentially because we've continued and continued to add SKUs <laughs> out of this slower store opening and the necessity to, to sort of get more shelf space in the stores that are available. Yeah. We've gone from six SKUs in February to like 30 SKUs next month. And where we will promise we're wrapping it up there. That's it. That's going to be it for at least the next 12 months or so. We're going to improve those, switch them in and out. Etc. But with that skew increase and all of the new suppliers that we've had to deal with to provide all the different components, all the non-cannabis ingredients in there, being able to accurately track that and cost it each month and add it to either your balance sheet or your P&L is the challenge that we're still sort of working through and that we're getting better and better at. But there's just like there's levels to it. And every time you think you've gotten specific enough, you realize like, oh, no, wait, we could even get more specific here and there. And that's just absolutely crucial for us to be able to make smart decisions, right? We need to be watching our margin and our, our break-even point to the cent. So that's been the biggest challenge right now, at least. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the brands and how you've sort of chosen the, the products and kind of segmenting of the brands, like what what has been kind of the strategy in terms of looking at New York and what, what we're going to want here. Yeah. So I, I would say the brands are, are a lot like, you know, from from the spirit and, and the soul that we had with CBD, where we're, we were so focused on extraction. And, and here we really said, we're just going to focus on the extract-based categories. We're not going to worry about raising money for a greenhouse or for figuring out how to make smokable flour, et cetera. We'll have our suppliers for our extract-based products. And yeah, so since we're, we were so extract-focused for so long, the easiest thing for us was to essentially make the brands based on on the extract that was being used for them. So John T is going to always contain distillate-based products, and it's a much more fun and exciting brand. And since distillate-based products always have their flavors reinserted into them, you can do a lot more with them, right? So we have, you know, our original or first, first product was a distillate vape, and I consume distillate vapes quite a bit, and and I, I use them day to day. And so we looked at what the unlicensed market was roughly at in price and what we needed to get our costs at for a distillate vape to come out into the market and, and really be competitive with the unlicensed market. And that's essentially where, where the jaunty vapes were born because it was it was my everyday product and it was also a product that I know is very popular. I mean, jaunty is now coming out with disposables because disposables are important in the market and I find them super convenient myself yeah. as well. But it was an extract-based product. And then the first one we were going to release was one that was super familiar. So that was Jaunty Vapes. And then from there, we released Jaunty Edibles, which is distillate-based gummies. <laughs> and we released in a Jumbo Dose. And, and Jumbo Dose is the brand that I was mentioning before that, that Krisha and I had worked on for CBD. It's a tincture brand. Jumbo Dose is the only exception that's just a form factor focused brand because it's just going to have tinctures and it's going to have all different inputs for them. So Right now, we've got four tinctures that contain different minor cannabinoids, CBN, CBG, CBD. And then we have a fourth one that's just THC. And those are all distillate-based and isolate-based. And then we're going to use, we're we're releasing now in a couple of weeks into the market, Rosin Drops by Jumbo Dose, which is going to be a rosin tincture that'll be strain-specific through Jumbo Dose. And then finally, we've Resonators, which Resonators was, again, something that's straight out of Christian's head and, and out of a lot of our workshops and meetings talking about brand development. And uh, Resonators has all the live resin and live rosin products. So it'll have solventless and hydrocarbon products in it. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's all like our, our upper shelf stuff, right? So it has uh, one gram dabs, it's got disposables and uh, hash gummies. Resonators right now has hash gummies in the market. 
And finally, we had one brand that we did license from out of state, which was you know a, a longer relationship and partnership that we had with with uh, this gentleman Alex Q Cupamil. Mm-hmm. And Alex is from Critical Concentrates. It's a it's a legacy. It's a legal brand in, in California that that's really known for for its quality with concentrates. Uh, it's won a bunch of uh, high times cup and, and emerald cups and and, and etc. So Alex is working with us for extraction and implementing all of our equipment. We decided to bring his dabbable brand on for for one grand dabs. So those are the four brands that that you'll see in stores this year. It's John T. Jumbotos, resonators, and, and critical. Nice. I'm curious for your role, and as as you've kind of taken leadership executive role on the in this company, and as things grown, as things changed, as you've shifted, what have you had to kind of learn and focus on to be a strong leader and help navigate the business? I would say in the past few months that the, the biggest thing has been to, you know, in CBD we spent so much time in the weeds and and just you know I, I physically run all of the equipment from extraction pre processing distillation, everything in between all of the manufacturing equipment. So I've been very used to being in the back, dealing with emails and with my phone and my computer while also uh, running an extraction or doing something <laughs> else. And now I've, I've really realized how detrimental that, that can be because a lot of things are sort of left in the air if, if each department doesn't have someone kind of pulling it all together for them and seeing why it's relevant for them to be doing X or Y activity because it's related to the other department, yep. right? So being able to get the reporting to me that, that I need properly and being very demanding about the reporting that I need to see from each department so that I can I can help the whole company kind of run smoothly and run more like a machine has been probably the biggest challenge so we're, we're I think we're making very good progress on it as well it's just it's it's a never-ending effort and it's a total realization that like it never ends it just kind of improves and improves and, and gets fixed and then you, you step back a little bit and, and you made a mistake so you got to go the other direction. But really just that, just pulling out of the weeds and, and being able to see from a distance and not feel like this sort of constant guilt because I'm not participating in the manual yeah. labor. Yeah, that was hard as the, as the business evolves. And if you were, um, you know, kind of looking forward to the future here, like where do you hope the business is in the next year or two? Any big kind of targets or hopes for reach or volume or brands? Like what's the, what are some goals that you've set for yourselves? Yeah. I mean, so as it stands now, we're holding according to the, to the New York numbers, like 12% market share in the overall market with our extract product. And the goal has always been to stay around, to stay above 5% as the market grows. So we, if the market really does open up as quickly as we're expecting, we'd, we'd really aim for keeping that, that 5% market share in the market. And more importantly, keeping that market share with like a 30 to 35% margin for the company. If we can do that with a critical mass of 40 or 50 stores plus, we'll start actually making money for our shareholders, making money for ourselves after a long, long road of five or six years of not making any money. Yeah. So that's really the, the the important goal, maintaining the market share that, that we've established early in the market and keeping a margin while doing it, which involves every one of those departments working together like a machine, you know? Yeah, exactly. Nick, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the business, what's the best way to get that information? You could reach out to me directly at Nicholas at Natura in New York or to the info at naturainnewyork.com. And more importantly, I mean, check out the the Instagrams where we're always sharing everything, which is at John T underscore New York, at John T underscore NY actually, and then at Natura Oils. Perfect. I'll make sure that the handles and information, everything are in the show notes so people can get that. Nick, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. All right. Take care. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. 
See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.